Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Yes, it is. Kylie, tell us about something super cool that we uh, released this week. So if you're a frequent listener, loyal listener, you will know that a few weeks back we told y'all that we are now on the Snack Labs podcast channel, something we're very excited about. Mm -hmm. But we spent some time um, over the winter break making a fun little video that Brian from the Snack Labs team then edited together into something really fun and awesome and and silly that I think just shows why we fit in with Snack Labs so well. And we're really proud of this little video that we concepted and shot and storyboarded and then Brian put together for us. Um, so we'd love if you went and t- took a look at it. It's a little reel on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can also follow Snack Labs, which is kind of starting their social media presence, but get in early while the going's hot mm-hmm. and be a longtime loyal Snack Labs fan. Um, but yeah, take a, take a look at that. Share it, like it, comment on it. We'd really appreciate it at baddad.raddad. Hell yeah. But we have four smackaroonies to talk about, so let's get into it. The first one of the week was my mystery movie pick, and I picked the 1995 comedy crime drama The Doom Generation. It was directed and written by Greg Araki, and it's based on characters from Mark Bayer's comic strip Amy and Jordan. It stars James Duvall as Jordan White, Rose McGowan as Amy Blue, and Jonathan Sheck as Xavier Red. The synopsis... Jordan White and Amy Blue, two troubled teens, pick up an adolescent drifter, Xavier Red. Together, the threesome embark on a sex and violence-filled journey through an America of psychos and quickie marts. What did you think of the Doom Generation? I was so excited to see that we were watching another Greg Araki film. I just, I really loved the previous films of his that we've watched, one more than the other. And this is the corner of bizarre 90s storytelling that is both deeply hilarious and at times deeply upsetting that Greg Araki just totally owns. And I'm all here for it. 
he has that sort of John Waters vibe of carving his own path with his own voice and his own tone and filmmaking style. And he's flipping birds and taking names on the whole, the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. He, this is the first film of two films this week that for me, at least it was the third film of this directors that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And I often find like three is the magic number. Like Mm. once I've seen three of something, listened to three albums, watched three directors, films, read three writers, books, taught something three times, I really know if I like it or not. Yeah. And this was kind of that tipping point into being like, oh, I want to see all of Greg Araki's films and I'm all in on him. Mm-hmm. We watched Mysterious Skin first and I think it's a really important film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's doing something in an uncompromising way that people have responded to, but it was hard to watch. Yeah. Now, having seen Nowhere in the Doom Generation, I'm like, oh, I love this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mysterious Skin was an interesting <laughs> one to start with. Um, this is part of his Teenage Apocalypse trilogy. Mm. So Nowhere, this, and then a film called Totally Fucked Up. So I'm like, I definitely want to see that. Um, he just has this way of, like you said, combining like really sexy mm. with really funny with really uncomfortable. Yes. And I mean... Not always at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes he goes from something that is really sexy to really uncomfortable in the next scene. Yeah. And sometimes those things are happening concurrently. Um, he loves a juxtapose. He loves a juxtapose. But I, I just really liked this. And when it was done, I, I said to you, I wish that this had been the kind of like cynical, edgy, quote unquote edgy, Um, movie that I had been obsessed with as a teenager instead of like Fight Club and Quentin Tarantino movies. Like I wish that I had been watching this and Daisies and Mm. just like those kinds of uncomfortable and like radical and chaotic and nihilistic and cynical movies. Yeah. I wish that those had been the ones I was watching, but I'm watching them now. Yeah. You know, better late than never. Better I say. late than never. I love that right off the tip. This gives like um, an intro that says a heterosexual film, but it throughout the film it teases being gay so much, and at every corner it kind of spits in the audience's face about it. It's just like remember what we told you at the beginning. This the is heter- a heterosexual <laughs> film. Yeah, I I love that this is also the first of two movies this week that spiral into madness. just talking about how he likes to juxtapose the ending left me in such a sad place. Like it actually like kind of resonated with me and it was, it it was, I found it really sticky. I'm I'm going back to it in my mind throughout the week. Yeah. Nowhere was one that I had a lot of fun with and I do think he's saying stuff in it, but it, it was a lot of fun. This one, it's got a lot of like weird connections between the four movies we watched this week which you wouldn't think if you just looked at them but yeah this is a movie that has a really upsetting sexually violent scene near the Mm -hmm. end Mm -hmm. so like heads up Mm -hmm. um it's very 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 upsetting it's it's a point at which greg iraqi says we're not gonna have fun anymore and i'm not gonna let you have fun anymore Mm -hmm. and that seems to be such a particularly the imagery that you're seeing as this is happening and then the fact that these kids last names are red white and blue seems to be a real critique and a dark one on America. And when you pair that with the idea of like a heterosexual movie, it's like anytime the movie 
starts veering into something queer, America won't let it. Yeah. There's like this meta thing going on in it. And so while it's really funny and really smart, it's also really upsetting. Yep. Yeah. Profoundly. It, it, uh, it left me with a, a heavy pit in my stomach. And this is also one, um, one of those stories of Greg Araki had a version of this and it's what originally aired at, I think Sundance, okay. a festival of some kind. And then the studio just based on like the agreement they had, they took it and chopped it up and made a version that was R rated instead of, I think NC 17 hmm. and he hates it. So this is a quote from him. The one that we watched is the restoration. It's now been restored to like what it originally was. So he said, quote, I hope that this new version of the doom generation wipes out those old copies entirely because they're so inferior. There was an R rated cut that was made without my approval and it's terrible. It's literally been butchered beyond recognition. And I'd prefer that people don't watch it at all than watch that copy of it. All right. So we watched the right one. I was yeah. like, Oh God, which one did we watch? Yeah. <laughs> Message received. Um, I also like Rose McGowan in this era, she was making some really great film choices. Mm -hmm. They're really like cynical, sardonic, satirical films. And she did such a good job in them. She does spicy really well. She does. And like vapidly, I don't care about anything Yeah, really well. And they give her such funny language in this too. That is language that is not too dissimilar to things I would use like it's words that make sense but don't make sense <laughs> in how they're used and it's just like the thing you do when you're a young person of trying to make up your own unique language and way of speaking that's that gives you an identity a little bit <laughs> it's great um James Duval continues to be very sexy mm -hmm. and our buddy Roger Ebert who we often agree with he gave this movie Famously, he gave it zero stars. Oh, shit. Come yeah. on, dude. Homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said it was too violent with nothing redeeming about it. Um, it was, I guess, compared a lot at the time to Natural Born Killers, which I haven't seen. Mm. Um, but this this time, I don't agree with you, Roger. Uh, Sorry, Raj. I, I really like this movie. I don't think this movie's for everyone. And depending on your tolerance for sexual content... And violent content, and particularly like a very upsetting scene of sexual violence, you might want to does the dog diet beforehand. Um, and I said when we were watching this, man, everybody who thought Saltburn was so fucked up sexually, they would not be able to handle this movie. Wake up and smell the doom generation. <laughs> Truly. Um, I'm with you, though. Three times the charm. Uh, at this point, I'm an Iraqi fan. I'm looking forward to watching more of his stuff and digging even deeper. All right. How did the Doom generation make you feel? Enamored with this bizarre 90s journey. How did it make you feel? Drawn into this smart and discomforting cacophony. Oh, cacophony. Cacophony. The next movie we went to was also wildly chaotic. Mm -hmm. It's called The Sweet East. It's a 2023 drama directed by Sean Price Williams, who has done a lot of cinematography for the Safties, and written by Nick, Nick Pinkerton. It stars Talia Ryder as Lillian. And then there's a host of people who are in smaller segments of the film. So some of the more well-known names, Simon Rex as Lawrence, Ayo Edaberry as Molly, Jeremy O'Harris as Matthew, Jacob Alordi as Ian, and Riz Shah as Muhammad. Synopsis. A picaresque journey through the cities and woods of the eastern seaboard of the U.S. undertaken by Lillian, a high school senior from South Carolina. 
she gets her first glimpse of the wider world on a class trip to Washington, D.C. What did you think of The Sweet East? The trailer that we saw for this at Metro Cinema made this look completely unhinged, which was immensely intriguing to me. And it also had a couple of major players in it. As soon as I saw that Io and Jacob were in it, I'm like, I am all in. And we've spoken about this before, but we're kind of on the Jacob train. Um, I was saying that I feel like he more quickly than Robert Pattinson was like, I want to go weird. Like weird is my jam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think about it and like euphoria is not tame. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did kind of start in those, it was either the kissing booth or all, I think it was the kissing booth, like these really cheesy Netflix shows that my students liked back in the day. Right. Um, but he's very quickly turned into like picking really interesting projects, more indie projects where he's sometimes doing unlikable things. Um, and I'm into it. And Io, I'm obsessed. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I and like, I mean, I love that this is just an Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole story. And do you know what's funny is when we were, while we were watching it, I didn't really put that together in my brain. But afterward, you're like, it's very Alice in Wonderland. And then thinking back, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and very like obviously so. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a genius. The trailer says it. And we saw the trailer like a million times. It says like an, an Alice in Wonderland for the American age in the trailer. Totally missed that. <laughs> All right. That's because your pictures and I'm words. This is so true. it's a title. It's like a title card that comes up in the trailer. Um, but I mean the movie quite literally after this kind of chaotic opening act, um, she sings into a mirror and then goes down a tunnel. And then from that point, it's like these segments. Like she keeps going from group to group to group to group to group, which is very Alice in Wonderland, right? Mm-hmm. From the smoking caterpillar to the tea party to the flamingo croquet what are, what are the twins called uh tweedledee and tweedledum there you go yeah, yeah um and this like sense of like constantly trying to catch your bearings and this new group of people who are just like in front of you all of a sudden and they're saying things and i do think as a i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but as as an Alice in Wonderland fan, which isn't surprising, <laughs> I guess is what I'm looking for, like hot topic TM. Um, I liked that aspect of it a lot because I have yeah. read uh, the original Alice in Wonderland many, many, many times over. I'm not a big fan of the Disney movie or the live action movie, but I really love the original text. And I thought that that was well used in this. Yeah, I, I agree. As soon as you made that connection for me, I was like, oh, absolutely. And it's it's really well done. Before I got there, I'm like, this is the most absurd paperclip trading journey of where you start with a paperclip <laughs> and then you one up to the next thing to the next thing. And a it very, just gets very bigger. merry and birthday to you. <laughs> to you. Um, this felt like a we didn't do this on purpose, but it felt like such a fitting movie to watch in the same week as the Doom Generation because they both feel like deeply cynical commentaries on the specific time that they were made. Hmm. Like it's easy to look at this movie from 1995 and not feel as heavy about it because we're not in 1995 anymore. But watching this, I was like, damn, we're fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Like just the cynicism of youth and the like all the supporting characters the actors do such a great job with it, but like all of these different segments of America that we glimpse into, none of them are good. Yeah. It's really underbelly. And, uh, the lead like Lillian is super compelling, but she has such brat energy 
that it's just you can never be fully on her side because you're just like Jesus Christ you, you can I just want to flick you sometimes <laughs> but uh yeah the, the a big kind of sticking point for me is that I so struggle with ableist and bigoted language in movies at this point especially when it's made in 2023 because like I feel like at this point everybody knows you shouldn't use this kind of language like it's it's not cool but you're it felt in this is being used to be like kind of titillating or even like a bit of a humorous punchline and it just immediately I just like my my radar goes off and I'm like oh man this is this is a tough sit yeah, she uses the uh, the R word repeatedly in the movie, and I definitely have folks in my life who would like not go to the movie based on that alone. Um, particularly because it's made in 2023, and it seems like she's just doing it to be a brat. Like yeah. she knows she's not supposed to use that word, and it's used comp- like throughout the movie. So, yeah, not not my fave language to be used at this point by filmmakers in this day and age um and i just have people in my life that will say titillating stuff or stuff that they know is not a good or nice thing to say just to get a reaction out of people and that's the vibe that you get from lillian which i mean is likely very intentional 100%. and part of the oh, yeah. the critique but it's not fun to watch i don't like this is one of those movies that it goes full-on zany in the in its focus on satire mm-hmm. and it was a really strange film, a really strange experience. And I'm, I, I enjoyed the experience of watching it and I'm glad I watched it, but I'm not sure I actually liked it. And I think it's worth watching, but I don't think for me personally, it's worth revisiting. Yep. I am a hundred percent with you. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I'll, I'll need to see it again. My two highlights from it were Io Edibiri's bit. And this is the first of two films that has a really nice typography. And it, it, it is really um, thinking about the fact that Sean Price Williams has done cinematography for the Safties. It is a very intentionally and um, mesmerizing visual experience. Mm-hmm. But and chaotic. It is very chaotic. Very Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's gorgeously shot. It's, it's, it's awesome. I know some screenings, the director, I saw a note from the director on, uh, um, on Instagram and he's just kind of saying like, they're doing uh, 35 millimeter screenings of it. And like, that's the way that he wanted it to be seen, which would have been awesome if this is the one time that we saw it. It would have been great to see it in 35 millimeter, but I understand. This will be some people's favorite movies. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Movie. Absolutely. But it ain't mine, although I am glad that I watched it and I think it has a lot of worthwhile aspects. At the end of the day, it's not one I'm going to return to. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Happy to tumble down this utterly absurd Gen Z rabbit hole. How make you feel? Overwhelmed by the rabbit hole of satire. It's an overwhelming movie, centrally, centrally. (laughs) (laughs) It's an overwhelming movie sense-wise. Like just visually, soundscape, it's a lot going on. And yeah, overwhelming is the word of the day for me for that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, next film. It was on Valentine's Day and it was my mystery movie pick. So I picked the 1986 comedy slash romance film. She's got to have it. It was written and directed by Spike Lee with an opening quotation that was written by Zora Neale Hurston. And it stars Tracy Camilla Johns as Nola Darling, Tommy Redmond Hicks as Jamie, John Canada Terrell as Greer, uh, Spike Lee as Mars, and Ray Dowell as Opal. Tagline for this: "I'm not a one. I'm not a one man woman." Bottom line. Uh, synopsis: The story of Nola Darling's simultaneous sexual relationships with three different men is told by her and by her partners and other friends. All three men wanted her to commit solemnly to the er, solemnly solely to them. Nola resists being owned by a single partner. What do you think if she's got to have it? Good Valentine's Day pick. Mm. Um, as I mentioned with the Doom Generation and Greg Araki, uh, for she's got to have it. This was for me the third Spike Lee film I've ever seen, and like with watching the Doom Generation, I was like, "Okay, I'm all in." Having seen something a lot newer. Uh, with last week, Black Klansman, having seen Do the Right Thing a handful of months ago and, and just being floored by it. There's a lot of difference in what those films are exploring and how they're exploring it. Mm-hmm. But there's also this like through line of what Spike Lee is is doing artistically and like sociopolitically. And I, I love it. Um, do you know this was his first feature film? I didn't. I feel like as a first feature film, it's so confident and it's so resonant and also like it feels innovative. Yeah. Like both in terms of, I just don't feel like at the time there was this, this kind of film being made by black folks about black folks Mm. and that feel like the, the smallness of it, like the microcosm of it and like the humanity and the complexity and the nuance of it. But then also just like the style of it feels really confident and of its own. I was reading that um, when you look at Spike Lee's early films, you can see a lot of influence from like French, I think French New Wave, but like Bu- Buenel, is that his name or Bunel or whatever? Mm. But we haven't seen those movies. So <laughs> <laughs> just makes me be like, Spike Lee, you're so cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, a couple of feelings that I had about it was this is a pretty thoughtful story about a woman coming from a man in the 80s, especially. Yeah, he um, I read that he was inspired to make this film based on conversations he was having with male friends that just kept boasting about like how many girlfriends they had. And it led him to want to make a movie about 
quote, independent black women, an independent black woman who is leading her life as a man as far as relationships go. Mm. So he wanted to invert that. And he, um, he wanted to like make sure that that character of Nora Darling was actually realistic and based on things that are true to, to the experience of women. And so he worked with people at Spelman college and specifically his classmate, Tracy Willard to create a questionnaire that he gave to 35 women that asked questions about their unfulfilled fantasies, their perception of men, their sexual lives. And he used that to inform that character of Noma. Really cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that there was like some research put into it too. That's very. I mean, I think there is for most movies, but but like I like that you know that this was Spike Lee wasn't just like throwing something on film that he 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 was putting the work in and continues to do that. I think in terms of what you were speaking to of him kind of being a bit innovative, like this mockumentary style, Talking Heads interviews uh, with with each of the characters as the characters. I mean that it's uh it it has those stylish flourishes throughout and I think it works really well to help us understand the characters and it's a really good device. I I want to get to the Nola of it all. I mean, if she's got to have it then get it, girl. Like she's such a great protagonist and character to follow and I love that she has nuance and that you just at least for me, I'm fully behind her. But she's never dishonest about who she is, what she wants, what she's doing. Yeah. And I mean, this movie does have two aspects that the 1986 of it all don't work for me now. And like this movie's so close to like a five out of five for me, but those two elements kind of make me struggle. One is it's portrayal of the character of Opal, who's a queer woman is like, first she's got like kind of a predatory vibe, which isn't cool, but like Nola's responses to her also aren't cool. And then there's a, a very sexually violent scene. So again, like with the Doom Generation, I would, depending on who you are and, and what content is a, is a no for you, um, just beware of that with this movie because it kind of came out of nowhere for me. Mm. And at first I was really like, fuck, I'm going to hate this movie because it felt like it wasn't handling it and it wasn't going to acknowledge that that was non-consensual um, and extremely upsetting. But then the film does. I don't love how it does, but it does acknowledge it. Yeah. And ultimately nets out in a place that, well, I'm not necessarily enamored with how it's depicted and the conversation about it, that I do think it is taking a stance that like that wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, so those are two things that I'm like, ah, and then I know based on uh, my friend Tabitha watched this movie and the miniseries it's based on, like back when the miniseries came out and I remember her talking a lot about how the miniseries was kind of rectifying those like kind of queer phobic and then those other moments kind of modernizing them and, and acknowledging where we're at in the world now. And we watched the trailer for the miniseries and it Spike Lee is, I think, the creator of it. Um, it seemed pretty fun. It seemed like something I'd like to watch. Yeah. Like, I think that there are really good steps made in the film of Nola being honest and putting up her boundaries and communicating that she to each of the men that she is with the these other men and i mean these three dudes are chumps like yeah she is everything and they are petulant piss boys uh, absolutely like and i love that she calls them out um and i i like i like having characters like jamie in stuff 
in that it's it's the Ted, it's the Ted Mosby effect. Like he is the perceived nice guy, but he's arguably the worst one of them all. Because at least Mars doesn't pretend to be more than what he is. Yeah, he's like, I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, he's like the he's kind of the Marshall, and um, mm-hmm. Greer is the Barney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they have some maybe overlap there, but yeah, Jamie sucks. Yeah. Um, and I like that the film is willing to explore that. Like, man, now that we've seen three Spike Lee movies, does he know how to nail an ending, whether it's something as epic as Black Klansman? And I say epic in this, like, like it's it's big. Yeah. It's saying big things. Like hits you as an audience. Member. Yeah, and, it, and it's exploring something on a macro level and it's based on reality. Whether it's something like do the right thing, which is big, but on a micro level, or whether mm-hmm. you get really micro with like this woman and these three men, he still just knows how to nail an ending. And, you know, it made me, I just loved her and it made me want to play Scrabble with three boyfriends, but not like pissy baby boys like these guys. Yeah. No pissy baby boys. Paul Meskel, when are you coming over to play Scrabble? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm so happy that we're on this Spike Lee journey and... And to continue being on the Spike Lee journey, this was another great one and a great Valentine's Day film. Truly. Polyamory on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Sounds like a Panic of the Disco song title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How does it make you feel? It made me feel obsessed with Nola Darling and the stylish confidence of this first Spike Lee feature. How did it make you feel? All in on Nola's journey of getting what she wants. Okay, our final film of the week we went back out to Metro Cinema to see the 2023 comedy slash drama slash romance. We're seeing a lot of romance movies lately. Is It is the season. We're in our romance era right now. Uh, the film is Sometimes I Think About Dying. It was directed by Rachel Lampert with writing credits to Stephanie Abel Horowitz, Kevin Armento, and Katie Wright Mead. It's based on a stage play. Um, by Armento. And okay. it's called Killers. Uh, it stars Daisy Ridley as Fran, Dave Morheshi as Robert, Parvesh China as Garrett, and Marsha Debonis as Carol. Synopsis. Fran, who likes to think about dying, makes the new guy at work laugh, which leads to dating and more. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing standing in their way is Fran herself. That is not a great no, synopsis. No, that's not a The and more also isn't necessarily yeah, like, accurate. Yeah, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> Don't go based on that synopsis. Go based on what we talk about. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds very like I'm trying to sell like a sham wow or something. What do you think? Oh, sometimes I think about dying. This is a movie that makes me so grateful for Metro Cinema because I don't know that this would have crossed my radar if it hadn't come to Metro. Yeah, I said to you, I follow Oscilloscope, which is the studio behind this film, and they just keep sending me emails about it. So it's on my radar, but not on my radar. I did have a couple folks that don't live in Edmonton who saw it at like their local indie theaters um, before it came here and liked it. Like kind of the resounding thing I'm seeing is like four out of five. Yeah, three and a half to four. Yeah. Yeah. So people are liking it. Um, but we loved it. Yeah. And you really loved it. Yeah. It really impacted you. It, yeah. I, I, tr- I truly, truly love this. And I think, I think the reason is that it just provided so many of the things that I love to get from movies that I watch. Like it just struck a chord with me. And that's like 
I mean, first off, it has an absolutely gorgeous poster. This is the second film this week that has gorgeous typography in it as well. And it just, it was truly funny. It had really great heart. Visually, it was stunning. The music was stunning. And it delivers two absolute gut punch lines in back-to-back scenes that just sealed the deal for me because it's like right at the end of the movie. So I'm like, that's it. Dusted. That I'm Perfect good. movie. Well, I just don't know how I could not give something a four and a half out of five or a five out of five that genuinely made me laugh so much mm-hmm. in like a really heartwarming way and like was making the audience laugh. There was a really good turnout for this considering yeah. it's like a fairly unknown new indie. Um, and the whole audience was laughing and the mm-hmm. whole audience was locked in. So a movie that makes me laugh that way but then I also cried at the end mm-hmm. <laughs> like that it and and not in it didn't make me laugh or cry in like big goofy ways or like intensely upsetting ways. Both just felt really real. Yeah. Like it felt like it was pulling laughter from like a very real and relatable place for me. And it pulled those tears from a really real melancholic like human place. Yeah. Um, and this movie mileage is going to vary for you like the listener if you watch it based on your experience with office jobs this i haven't seen such a perfectly accurate (laughs) depiction of what it's like working in an office and the kind of personalities you encounter working in an office do you consider your job an office job i i do but it's not like this no little bit it can be just like when you work with a a larger team of people and I'm not in the office full time, but when I was, there's people that you don't interact with as often. So conversations can veer into territories that are similar that are, that have been depicted in this movie. But the work that your office is doing is not office work. Yeah. Not what you think of when you think of office job. Yeah. My, my job just by the nature of it is very collaborative and there's a lot of, overlap with different people different teams and you're having to collaborate a lot it's not like you get to work head down you're just in your spreadsheets all day not communicating with anybody else so yeah it's a little different yeah this was funny to me because the first like third of the movie really nails how much I've hated working in an office I've worked in an office like twice Mm -hmm. once as a summer job think for two or three summers so that was tolerable because it was a summer job Mm -hmm. but I also worked in an office right after I got my first degree and it made me miserable like like it made me so deeply unhappy Mm -hmm. in like an existential way that I can't even explain like I was just like the thought of doing this for the rest of my life makes me want to die it was such a hard time to go through being your partner as well yeah I was ridiculously unhappy yeah that was hard it was hard to see it's it's hard to see like people in your life that are so struggling with the thing that you have, quote unquote, have to do every day. Well, and it was I only worked there for two months and then I promptly went back to school to become a teacher. But the funny thing is, is that in this movie, Fran doesn't hate her job. Like yeah. the message is not office jobs suck. But depending yeah. on your experience with office jobs, you might be like, oof, glad I'm not there anymore. But I also read some reviews from people that we know and then other people that I, I don't personally know, but that I know through letterbox saying like, I like my little office job too. It doesn't make me unhappy. Mm-hmm. So 
just really accurate depiction of office jobs that will either just make you laugh or make you sad or make you glad, I think, depending on who you are. Mm -hmm. I thought that this was such a different role for Daisy Ridley because I've only seen her in Star Wars. I don't really know what else she's done. She was really phenomenal in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was incredible. I don't have much to add to that, Just but she was just stunning. Yeah, she made the character so understandable and relatable through, like, almost no dialogue. Yeah, like, there were so many moments throughout the film, too, and this is probably what elevated this to a five for me. It's just, like, I have had so many moments of relating to Fran, of um, what I've now discovered is a part of having ADHD is that you can just feel so overstimulated by a lot being surrounded by a lot of people or a lot of outgoing people or in, um, in situations where you have to interface with a lot of people and kind of put on a bit of a persona. And sometimes you just want to grab your cake and leave. (laughs) And that is, that's so relatable to me. I, I, I so felt that. So like sometimes you just don't want to be part of the big office celebration. You just want to go back to your desk and put your head down and get back to work. Um, so yeah, I, I felt a little seen. Yeah. You really, you really connected with, with her. It's so interesting. Cause there's parts of myself I really saw in Fran and parts of myself I really saw in Robert. And also I think vice versa, like parts of you, I really saw in Fran and parts of you, I really saw in Robert. Mm. And I think they're kind of inverse. Mm-hmm. Like I can be like Fran, but it's very on purpose. Like I very, I very much want to be like that. Right. Yeah. And I think when you are like Fran, you don't necessarily want to, mm. and you just can't get out of it. Um, she's an internalizer, which yes. you are. Yep. So she's grouchy, which I am, but she's an internalizer, which you are. Mm-hmm. And then get, or sorry, Robert. Robert is such a like fundamentally kind, positive person, which I think you are, and he's silly. But he's an externalizer, which I am. (laughs) So I also like how he talks about movies. There are some really great just for from movie people seeing somebody that seemingly likes movies and and consumes movies the same way that we do. uh, It's just nice to see those kinds of people on screen, like talk very on what's the word I'm looking for? Like not hoity, not being hoity toity about movies. Like just expressing that they like them and not thinking they know the most about them and need to share yeah, just, all of their knowledge just awesome. about it. Just awesome and kind. The music was so whimsical in this. Like this was another one. It felt very fairy tale-y. Even like the end the end credits plays a song from Snow White, which like they probably had to pay an arm and a leg for. No, it's probably in the public domain now. Probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. I <laughs> I I, I love this so much. I look forward to watching it again. Oscilloscope, like A24, does release their films with like special editions. And I look forward to hopefully seeing that pop up. But if this comes to a theater near you, it's it's such an eensy-weensy little guy. But It's worth it. Highly recommend going and checking it out. I think that its rating of like three and a half to four is probably more accurate, but... I think for particular people, it'll it'll be higher. And I yeah. think that's that's what you want from a movie. I have two really quick things I want to mention. One is um, one of the folks I, I enjoy connecting with the most over Letterboxd is um, someone named Remy. And uh, he saw this before us. He's not in Edmonton. And this is part of his review. So he, he talked about, like me, also leaving a job that was just making him unhappy that was 
you know, very resonant of this movie. But then he said, um, the, this movie gets the key to survival right, sussing out the gays and other childless sociopaths who lie about being vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved that because I feel like that's true in my own life as well. Mm. And then I wanted to quickly read this um, snippet from Lavia Giarchi's review in The Hollywood Reporter. So they said, quote, loneliness is the subject of a poetic exploration. Fran is too distinctively drawn to be just an avatar, but the impressions of her solitude are aching reminders of how modern life nurtures an unsettling separateness. Sometimes I think about dying then as a graceful treatise on how challenging but liberating it can be to make connections. Mm. It's a really, really beautiful movie in terms of the way it's shot, the score, the typography, the humanity, the humanity, the thematics, the acting. I think it's really, really good and I hope that people seek it out because I think it's worth seeing. Absolutely. How does this make you feel? It made me feel moved by the quietly honest portrayal of the mundane difficulty of being a person. Mm -hmm. How did it make you feel? Fully enveloped in this film's beauty. Hey, let's talk about dads. Dads of the week. Who's your bad dad nominee? I picked Xavier Red. Okay. From the Doom generation. Mm -hmm. Checks out. Um, He's manipulative. He's selfishly hedonistic. Like, be hedonistic all you want, but when that starts to harm other people, mm-hmm. now it's an issue. Um, I would classify him as predatory. J- Jonathan Sheck <laughs> knows how to just, like, he's just the ultimate bad dad. He's really good at playing bad dads, because yeah. I'm pretty sure we named him bad dad when he was Jimmy in that thing you do. Yeah. And, yeah, right, yeah predatory, nasty, yucky, yucky. You picked someone else, I take it? I picked Jamie just because of the Ted Mosby effect of it all from She's Gotta Have It. I get that. Like, And I feel like these are the most dangerous bad dads as well because they, they lure you in under the guise of, the, I'm just, I'm a nice guy. I, I'm, I'm the nice guy, you know? You don't have to worry about me, but you probably have to worry the most about those guys. I considered Lawrence from the Sweet East as well. Yeah. Lots of them. Um, I think Xavier is not pretending he's not a bad guy. So I actually do think Jamie is more dangerous in that way. And Lawrence, I would also agree, is more dangerous in that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to name Jamie our bad dad. All right. So, Jamie, don't, don't be, be our dad. dad. Who's your bad dad? Why don't you tell me? Because you keep getting me to tell you first. So you tell me yours first. Right. I, f- I feel like we might have the same one. I don't think so. But okay. We won't, re- we won't do it at the same time then. I- well, let's do it. It'll be fun. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> Told you we didn't. <laughs> uh, I picked Nola from She's Gotta Have It. I mean, the, the biggest clincher for, for her being my rad dad is she's just purely and uncompromisingly herself. And she does what she feels is right for her. She puts in her boundaries. Like you said, does she always communicate it the best? No, but she has nuance. And she's also a young person in this. And I have full belief that she is going to continue just to grow into being a person that believes in being the truest version of herself and keeping the people that she cares about close to her. So I have her picked for something else. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I picked Amelia, who is the woman who works at the restaurant and sometimes I think about dying. And who invites them like over to her house that's such a, to play games. That's such a cute, deep cut rad dad. But I mean, I think that when you look at how sometimes I think about dying is fundamentally about friends. 
feelings of isolation and disconnect. Amelia, actually more than Robert, is the person who reaches out and reaches out without expecting anything back and reaches out without holding anything against Fran and through Amelia and like her circle of friends, there's more reaching out. Um, I just look at the scene where she invites them over to her house and it's just like, Hey, we're doing this thing. And like, you should both come even though she knows Robert better. Um, And at her house, there just seems to be this, like she seems to have created and led this beautiful circle of chosen family And immediately both Robert and Fran are invited into that with like no judgment, no sense of you got to prove yourself. Like you just are a part of this now and you will be welcome every time after this. And Amelia and her partner who like we don't really see, but like they're there at the door. um, It seems like the two of them have created this space and all of the other friends are a part of that too. And I just think that's so beautiful. She's just welcoming and kind and she helps connect others. Yeah. That's all really well put. And if Nola's going somewhere else, <laughs> I'm happy to have Amelia. It's going to be hard for you to find a graphic. But yes. <laughs> sucks to be you. <laughs> all right. Amelia. Be our dad. dad. Okay. So, yeah, I named Nola as bonus daddy. I'll take it. Yeah. Nola. I mean, is- she's a total babe. At, like, let's just say. So she's bonus daddy because she's got to have it. Absolutely. And she gets it. Yeah. But she won't get it in a way that puts her down. Yeah. She'll get it in a way that works for her. So she's got to have it. She's got it. I Go. really respect her. I think she's a babe. Keep getting it. So Nola. Weet woot. And our rad wreck for this week, uh, born out of the fact that we have been doing a very bad job of not getting to the movie right as it's starting in the midst of the credits or not credits, but in the midst of the trailers, is try to get to the movies about 10 to 20 minutes before it starts. It's nice to get good parking, to have time to get snacks, to sit and visit for a bit, especially if you're meeting friends. We've had quite a few times lately in the last couple of weeks where we've like arrived to a movie like right when the movie's about to start, but we've gone with friends, so you don't really have time to visit. But then afterwards, we're like, we got to go home because we work tomorrow. So that's the rad wreck. Try and give yourself 10 to 20 minutes before the movie starts to just settle in, visit with the person you're with, and and get comfy for the movie. That's, uh, yeah, that that's kind of the sweet spot in terms of time. Like we went and saw Lady Vengeance in 35 millimeter, and we made it there like literally as the movie was beginning. So it also helps you not interrupt other people's movie going experience like if they're all settled in the movie theater's dark and and they're ready to go but they then, feel like they've chosen great spots and someone sits in front of them yeah Jeez. hate when that happens to me so don't yeah. want to do that to other people absolutely so there you have it thank you so much for listening we drop a new episode every thursday until then you can follow us and slide into our dms on instagram at bad dad dot rad dad and again go check out our fabulous new reel announcing our joining of to the snack labs podcast network you can also get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. We would absolutely love you forever if you could share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating review or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for this Doom Generation this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.